I was so determined to find a technical co-founder that I used to ride Uber pools around San Francisco just so that I could meet engineers that were at large companies. I love that hack. Just so that I could get their number, just so that I could take them for coffee, just so I could ask them to basically quit their job and come on this journey with me. And they'd meet up with me, but they would not quit their job for me. doing great hey everybody again it's john dashatsky starting another episode of seed stories excited to have today with me zuleika on the heels of actually a very exciting day thanks for coming on the show today you're welcome thank you for having me yes uh what is zero grocery uh, zero, uh, zerogrocery.com is now the fastest, most sustainable delivery for groceries and homewares in the U.S., probably globally as well. Uh, it's delivery of about 2,000 items within two hours, or you get the entire basket for free, everything from produce, meat, fish, dairy, all the way to face creams, bath bombs, and books. Go back to the beginning. What's, the, what's your background? How did you get into the, 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 the grocery business, as it were? <clears throat> oh, um, I'm from London originally. I grew up in London. I went to Oxford. I studied politics. Um, I was very involved in debating and student politics. When I was at Oxford, I came out. Uh, I worked in campaign politics for a, a short period, uh, then made the move over into tech, was very interested in educational policy, ed tech. Um, and then I, I, I came out to Silicon Valley in 2016, and I joined Felicis Ventures, a great, uh, at that time, seed stage firm, but now doing kind of A's, B's, C's, um, and had an incredible time there, really. I say it was my kind of boot camp or training ground and my first foray into tech and Silicon Valley specifically. And as I left venture uh, and, and moved to the other side of the table as a founder, I really wanted to work on technology specifically for sustainability and technology for e-commerce uh, with the goal and the mission of founding the next gen sustainability platform for all sustainable shopping in the US um, and started very small and grew and grew and grew. Here we are. How did you think about crafting the early team at ZG? I guess this is where the venture training helps. But, you know, when we were always looking at companies, we were assessing deals. You're looking for really exemplary teams and team members. Um, the problem in the industry is that we oftentimes bias for badges. Badges are, I guess, a signal for um, something that somebody has achieved or Oxford, Yale, Harvard, Stanford, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and so on. Um, but I have a really, truly a mix of people who certainly have those badges and have, have done some really cool things in some really cool places. But resumes are terrible for assessing people, um, as are online you know, uh, profiles as well. I have a lot of people that um, didn't even finish high school, didn't get a GED, had a very untraditional background maybe, um, who are extremely good at what they do and have really good maybe business acumen or operational acumen. And bringing these really diverse, interesting people who in their own rights are just very good at what they do makes for a really killer team, actually. If you fill the table with, I don't know, a bunch of uh, consulting associates, uh, you're going to lack a lot of that diversity. If you'll get the same group of folks, all of whom have not been to high school and got a GED, you're going to get one particular outcome. But if you get a mix of the best of the best, even with traditional and untraditional backgrounds, 
um, the problem solving is the key and the problem solving um, is done in a very, very effective way. What was sort of the idea that, or germination of the idea that would actually focus on zero grocery? I kind of stumbled on this by chance. I, I wasn't really an, I've never really been an environmentalist. And I always say to folks, you know, even if we all disagree around questions of climate change and climate is also a very, very politicized issue. Plastic is one of those things that kind of everybody dislikes and plastic is visceral and you can see it, it's tangible and you can pick it up and no one wants plastic on our beaches and on our streets. And so it really crosses the divide. And um, I just became obsessed with plastic waste, living plastic free in particular. And I challenged myself to be plastic free. Um, and at the time my friend's family thought I was, I was kind of mad. And I was seeing the zero waste movement growing and I was seeing the conversations that people were having and I was seeing how mainstream sustainability was also going. And I think part of our success so far was that I approached it as somebody that wasn't an environmentalist at all. Um, mm. I'm a lazy consumer before I'm anything else. Like I still want stuff now and conveniently before anything else happens. Um, and I understood that and that wasn't something to be ashamed of necessarily. And most founders who are successful I think are obsessed by the thing that they're working or really deeply obsessed by the thing that they're working on. They just can't, I just couldn't stop thinking about this problem and working on this thing. Um, and they get great joy from solving this particular problem, though it may be really challenging. And um, as I dug into living plastic free, I started to get interested in the supply chain. And as I got interested in the supply chain, I started to get interested in the technologies that we could now apply coming from tech to the supply chain. So it's kind of a flywheel that just keeps on going and going. Um, and I have this impetus to get up and just do stuff. Uh, and at the time I wanted to get going as quickly as possible with a, with a real service. And so we started as a Facebook only initial, uh, internal service. I was part of a Facebook family at the time. And, um, yeah, I started with a, just a simple text-based service where I would deliver people's groceries and I would clean their houses and I would turn them zero waste. And I was doing all these kind of crazy, very, very hacky things. I had about 136 customers. I'd service about 20 to 30 at any one time. Most of the time, people have a good idea, but they don't buy us for action. They have a lot of fear. Right. They're worried they don't have enough money. They don't have enough funds. They don't have enough knowledge. And uh, this country in particular proves that um, anything, truly anything is possible if you have uh, a little bit of resources. I had $2,500 to my name. Um, <laughs> an idea and some smarts about you and a lot of hard work. And yeah. I just kind of thought, you know, I can sit around for six months and do a bunch of research or I can like actually get something off of the ground and keep changing and iterating it. And removing a lot of that fear is a, is a, is a big piece of it. So when you go back to people, one of the big things I look for is obviously connection to the mission and, you know, uh, my, my, my team will also be connected maybe to different parts of the mission, right? We're all generally pretty outdoorsy, but some will be more interested in the supply chain pieces. Some will be more interested in the consumed plastic pieces, but it will be driven by the mission, but they're very, very persistent people, or they've got a lot of grit about them, right? And that can come in many, many ways, shapes, and forms. But when you're building an early stage company, you as the founder need to have a lot of staying power, and the early team that you build needs to have a lot of staying power. And words are cheap. Um, but when your back really is against the wall, you see 
um, the strength of both yourself and the people that you have. And this is where companies that raise too much money too quickly suffer. Because mm-hmm. um, though we've had a very difficult journey, um, we kind of raise money in drips and drabs. And we've always struggled financially as a company, unfortunately, which I've been very, very transparent about. Um, <laughs> but that journey also makes you extremely, extremely lean, forces you to figure out if the product is working and really tests the people around you, whether they stick with the roller coaster or not. I'm absolutely on the edge of my seat with with this story because, first of all, a lot of this resonates with me and my, my startup journey. But 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 more importantly... The way you talk about this initial group of customers that you serviced that like, I guess, to borrow Andrew Chen's concept of an an atomic network, right? Like for the founders, and this is what this show is all about, is for the founders who are out there, you don't have to start big. You don't have to start with 10,000, 100,000. The fact that you started with this 130 people that you were personally servicing um, is really good sample size. And it's a sample size that's effective enough to know that, yeah, people hate plastic and they hate dealing with it. It's a pain in the butt. If I can get my groceries delivered with no plastic at the same cost or lower, like you probably felt that market pulling you in that direction. Um, But walk me through how you got your first money in the door, Um, you know, tactically, like to, to, you know, knowing that you you went from your, you know, your Facebook group of text messages of customers and you're like, okay, crap, this is working. I need to get some capital in the door. What did you do? Yeah. And, you know, if you're an early stage founder, there's two things that are happening. You've probably identified the correct market trend gap that's happening. You you know, many founders are foreseeing a future 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You've probably got that right, right? Or let's assume you've got that piece right. But whatever it is that you're working on right now, I tell early stage founders, um, the iteration that you have, the current business you have probably isn't it. This isn't it. So um, that has to dispel this myth that from the get go, you have the right idea being put in front of the right customer and it's just going to work. It is not like that. It is extremely, extremely messy. But it's, it's that foresight that you have that is correct, right? And this is a testimony to my company. I mean, yeah, I started it, but it just kept changing and iterating and changing so much so that we just turned three, three years old on the 9th of January, um, a couple of days ago. Yeah. And yeah, thank you. And we also just went through a shift in the business where we were a next day delivery service. And we said, hold on, it's not quick enough for where the market needs to be. And we moved to a same day delivery in two hours. And that's after three years. And that's with a lot of customers under my belt. So if you're sitting with 100 customers, 200 customers thinking that this is it, uh, I'm, it's highly likely to not be. <laughs> and you've got to be very, very comfortable with the journey of iterating and pivoting. Now, early on, um, there were two things that happened. Um, one is I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be the founder that walked into a room, put my feet on the table, had an idea and said, give me $500,000. Though I I was misguided and thought maybe that would be how it went. And I have seen that Mm. happen across many, many firms and across many, many firms where somebody comes in and they've got an idea and they raise very, very, very quickly. I had left my full-time job um it was the end of august 2018 
And uh, I believe that probably by October, I'd have the $500,000. And um, that was my first tough lesson that it was going to be a lot harder than I expected. And I was after going to do a yeah. lot more pitching, but I knew that I needed both real data from real customers that I was servicing, which is the group of 136 that I had at the time that was signed up. So I would, was able to walk in and say, look, it's not a lot, but I have real people that are using a real service. And this is the genesis of what I will build when you give me this money and I actually go away back to the drawing board and build the company. And the other one was market research. I had compiled, you know, real case studies and interviews with um, large, you know, CPGs, vendors, manufacturers for what the gap was in the technologies that they had, what their impetus was to be selling more sustainably, why they weren't selling more sustainably. So between the market research I had and the real-time data that I had, I had something to put in front of investors. I wasn't, though they're taking the bet on the founder, really up until the Series A, I would argue even the Series B, um, I didn't rely on the fact that it was just simply me walking in with my with my idea. I'd got to December and not one check, not a single check. I mm. was so, um, I don't know, I was really dismayed at the time. Yeah. Um, and the shift came for me between meeting both Charles Hudson at Precursor. I had met him actually a day before I flew to London for the holidays. I was going to return back to my family and I was, uh, you know, I just thought I'll just take a break. With your, tail, tail, with your tail between your legs, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was in the adventure. Everything dies in December and gets restarted in like mid-January. So I was like, you know, this just hasn't happened. It hasn't worked so far. And I had just met Charles. And as I flew to London, he and I continued talking and he just got it very, very quickly. He treated me very differently from the other hundreds of folks that I had pitched. He really focused on me, like who I was, where I grew up, how I grew up, what drove me, what was this work that I had been doing for the last nine months. Um, and then the other one was, was, was a British angel. Um, and he was somebody that I had met um, actually through Michael and Alex of Calm. Um, and I met a couple of more angels through them as well. And the British community was also helpful to me in Silicon Valley. And, and very quickly, I had $250,000 from Charles, um, 50 from this angel. That was 300. I was only 200 off. And the other 200 came within, I think, a week and a half at that point. So every time this happens, the initial spark or the initial check is, uh, the, or the lead is the most difficult thing to nail. Once one person is in or somebody with a, with some gravitas is in, then the rest follows through pretty quickly. And, um, and that was it. I had suddenly 500,000 from a really reputable investor um, after, you know, that was six checks from 263 pitches that I had done. And I wasn't even incorporated because I couldn't afford to incorporate. I had to rush quickly in London in an Airbnb to quickly incorporate this company um, and, and, and get that $500,000 round closed. And the other thing I faced at the time was a lot of investors that would honestly like kind of laugh at me. Um, and, and I knew, remember I came from venture. Like I knew a lot of angels. I knew a lot of funds. Yeah. And they would say, yeah. look, you need like, like they would say, Z, you're super cool. I love you, but you need 5 million to start a company like this. And I was like, that sounds wild. I can Where am I going to get that? Where am I going to get that? How am I, no one's going to give, no one will give me 500. Who's going to give me 5 million? But 500 is a lot to me. I mean, I had just been working off my two and a half thousand dollars. So um, I knew with $500,000, one, that I could do something. And two, that yeah. I had to prove stuff out with the $500,000. Um, 
and uh, off we went to work. I mean, um, I stopped that initial service. Yeah. I went and got a small warehouse. I hired the first few team members on the team part. You know, I, I have MBAs, I have non-MBAs, right? But what I understood acutely was despite, you know, yes, sure, I had been to Oxford and I'd worked for a little bit of time in venture, but still on paper, I didn't really have the quintessential background, particularly, you know, in 2010. I don't know, 17, 18, 19, uh, uh, quintessential background of what was expected of a founder or what would be determined as a successful founder. I mean, I was told as well, oh, go work at Facebook for a while, go work at Google for a while, kind of check the boxes and get, and I didn't want to do that. And so I understood what it was like to be on the back footing or to have to prove yourself out, but to, to know what you have within yourself to be able to achieve something. And I'm, a, I think I've, you know, I went to school a little late, you know, uh, later. I myself kind of was a bit slower kind of getting to where I needed to get to. And so I really acutely understood this struggle and how to relate to people and understand people and ask the questions that need to be asked to figure out if somebody really is the real deal. Um, again, I focused on people who knew stuff that I didn't know, who had industry experience right. that I didn't have. Um, and I had a very, very low ego about what I knew and what I didn't know. Um, again, many founders make the mistake of wanting to be the smartest person in the room, wanting to be yeah. right all of the time. That is the complete wrong way to do this. You need to be extremely humble and focus on finding people who know a lot more stuff than you do and who can really guide the company to where it needs to go. What you do best really as the founder early on is fundraising and vision, a lot of vision. Yeah. And you just need to be able to fundraise and fundraise and then bring all of these people in that you need to be able to build that vision out for you right and i'm a solo founder i had no co-founders i yeah. uh, again i couldn't i wanted co-founders i couldn't find i couldn't convince anybody to quit their job <laughs> you need five million dollars and you need a co-founder you're like i need a co-founder and, and, yeah. and i was working on both i mean i would i was so determined to find a technical co-founder that i used to ride uber pools around san francisco just so that i could meet engineers that were at large companies I love that hack. just so that i could get their number hack. just so that i could take them for coffee just so i could ask them to basically quit their job and come on this journey with me and they'd meet up with me but they would not quit their job for me um and you know there comes a point where from in my case anyway that i was able to build out the technical skills that i needed using the money that i was raising and we've got too far along this journey of me being a solo founder but it is bitterly 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 difficult it was for me anyway bitterly difficult it's still and i want to i want to normalize what you said which was six divided by 260 meetings 63, right 63 um and, 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 uh, 263, you're good with numbers. I, and also normalize the fact that Z, as much as you say that, you know, you've got a different background, like you're very impressive background, you're highly articulate, you know what you're talking about. And so Thank like, you. you know, I all have founders who come to me for their pre-seed and say, Hey, I'm having a very difficult time. And I'm like, how many people did you talk to? And they're like, well, like 12 or 14. And I'm like, <laughs> You got to go more. You got to 10 X that number and then maybe come back. Right. Yes. Um, and, and, and the yeah, other thing is um, I'm really on top of my game. Uh, I'm like, yeah. I'm really organized. I meticulously had down every person I met, what they said, how it went, what the feedback was. I make them intro me to two more people. Every single lead needs to give me at least two more leads so that I can keep generating my pipeline. I never run out of pipeline. And, you know, I meet founders too that I'm like, this is great, but you know, you gotta be approaching this like it's a war. 
And you're, yeah. you're approaching this like it's a night out of drinks with friends. Like you need to be meticulous. You need to be, you need to be razor sharp, meticulous, organized. Um, you know, just you need to know your numbers. You need to know your company. You need, I meet founders that their ideas are great, but they don't know their numbers. They don't know the numbers of their own business. Or they right. don't know anything about their industry or anything about their competitors. And you need to like not shut up about this stuff. And it needs to be, right. you, you need to bleed your company. Really well said. And I want to, I want to come back to the timeline a little bit and just talk about a little bit of money in the door. What were you hoping to prove out with this first, um, this sort of initial tranche of capital? And what, what were you hoping to get to? Yeah, I knew, you know, obviously we had to put some infrastructure in place and get a small warehouse and hire the first couple of team members. First hires had to be really strong. We needed a pretty strong early growth rate, um, which shouldn't be too difficult to do when you're working in single single digits and multiples, right? To to go from one customer to two customers to four to eight and so on, and, and basically double your number, your customer count. Um, but acquisition and engagement is very important. So early on, as many, many in you know, the industry have said, you start with very unscalable marketing opportunities combined with a ridiculously high level of customer experience, right? I mean, the thing for us was just how do we create buzz around what we're doing? How do we keep it very exclusive? How do we give the best experience possible? Enough for us to go out and raise now. I also erroneously thought that I was going to then go out and do at that time, a, I think it was, maybe it was a $2 million or $3 million seed round. Um, the seed round itself ended up taking a year longer than I thought it was going to take. But at that time, I thought, oh, now I'm going to, I thought I had been through my, my trials and tribulations and, and that was, <laughs> was not the case. And so if Don't you read that medium article... If you read that meeting article, I ended up raising a second $500,000 round. Um, and then I raised another $700,000 round. Then I raised $3 million. And yeah. so there were these kind of, I call them uh, bricks, as I kind of went brick by brick as I was, I was building in that article that I wrote at the time. Um, and to be very honest about what that journey looked like, but I was laser focused on what were those things that we needed, the early customer set, the growth rates, the engagement, the retention, and what were those, um, you know, those key KPIs that we were tracking to into in the business and that we could actually perform. It's very, very difficult uh, operationally to supply not just grocery, but fresh items, right? Like I'm dealing here in cold chain, dairy, frozen produce, right? And And to be able to show that just with this very, very small amount of money, that I can make the actual business model work on a very, very small right. scale. Now, in those days, it was, you know, very white glove and we were delivering to people's houses and we were slow as hell. But kind of like those metrics didn't matter at that at that particular time. What mattered was that we were really hitting on something that potentially a lot of people were going to want in this country. How, what got you through those periods of like, ah, this is hard. Like, you know, what, what were the things that you personally did to push yourself through those those sort of like lumpier times in in the company prior to the, raising the seed. Um, well, you can't discount yourself till it's time to be discounted. So for as long as there's like I always say, as long as there's breath in my body and another day to go, we got to keep going, right? Like you, you're. It's yeah. not done till it's done. <laughs> it's like and and by done I mean like done. Like they're pulling me out by my hair because I haven't paid the rent. The lights are off. <laughs> no payrolls are happening. And I've been, I think, five times we've nearly died, maybe six times we've nearly died. I've been two days away from not being able to make payroll three times. Um, so there's been a lot of moments uh, that have been really challenging. Honestly, my customers keep me going. My team keeps me going. I believe in the product. The product is good. 
I, I've yeah. always believed in the product and I, I know what I'm doing and I believe in the product. I'm not working on something that feels icky. I'm not working on something that I don't believe in. I believe in the change of the product that I'm making. I believe in its environmental impact, but I also believe in what people are eating, putting into their bodies, what they're putting into their skin as being the best quality products. So it's not just about sustainability. It's about the full holistic picture. Um, and our customers really resonate with that, right? They, my customers care a lot about what they're eating, when they're eating, how they're eating, what they're putting on their face, on their skin, what they're feeding their children and the environmental impact. All of that is very, very holistic. Um, and I've always believed in that. And um, even when times are dark, you've got to remember the good moments or you've got to remember the, the, the good times and, and the ability to really pull it out. I mean, I just went through this, right? I was told... You know, we, we rolled down on the 23rd of December. We took a few weeks break with the view to coming back with same day delivery on the 10th of January. Uh, and I was told by many, oh, it's really difficult and really risky. Uh, those folks are not going to come back. It's going to be very, very difficult to do. You're too big to make this kind of a shift and kind of a change. But I also couldn't afford to just keep running when I needed to make these changes to the business. And I needed to close the doors for a few weeks to be able to do it. Super unorthodox. But here we are. Um, but I had to remember the times that we've executed and how well we've yeah. executed and and why we execute the way that we execute. And I also gave us the resources that we needed, which for us was to shut the doors for just three weeks. Uh, we needed right. to be able to pull this off. And as we came back, I mean, we did double the number of orders we would ever do in a normal day in, under this new iteration. And it, that was, and, and I'm talking to you in real time because today's only day two. And that was hugely validating yeah. to sit there last night and think, yeah. You know, we've pulled it off and um, my customers have been coming back in their droves yesterday and today. I've been receiving messages from them for three weeks. I was always very honest with them, very transparent with them. I kept it 100 with them. Um, <laughs> and and that is also not how many companies function and operate, but that's the way we've done things. And um, it's worked well for us. And um Everybody has an opinion on how you should do it. Everybody knows best, but they're not the one running the company. They're not the one that started the company. They're not the one running the company. And there's a lot of backseat drivers. And look, there's a lot of people yeah. investing that have never operated a company, never been a founder, don't know the first thing about actually running a business. The reason you do this is to build the company. It's not to fundraise. Fundraising is just the mechanism to building the company that you envision to change the world truly to change the world in the way that you envision the world to be. I see a world 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and, and zero is central to enabling us to consume in a very, very particular way. And consumption for me without environmental degradation, without damage on the planet and without damage on our bodies as well is absolutely key. And um, this movement to come back to eating organic, eating healthier, eating fresher, um, better prepared meals, better convenient options, cooking more. Um, we are at the nexus of that, um, of that experience in so, so many ways. Sure that your team is, is just jazzed to come to work every day. And I, I, I'm, I'm super glad that you're working on this problem. I guess the, the one big area I did want to touch on is specifically, you know, female founder, person of color, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you advice you have for the others out there, because, you know, it's, it's still hard, like startups are hard and then add another dimension and you're sort of geometrically, you know, having a, a, a harder time. So walk me through a little bit about how you've thought about that and what advice you would give to the uh, others out there. Numbers are there, right? Like I think 2% of venture capital goes to women. 
I think it's 0.02%, something like that, that goes to black women, right? Black or mixed women. Um, and so it's pretty dire on that front. But, you know, I also tell founders, particularly women and those of color, is we need to stop thinking about ourselves in these in these terms, right? It's in, in general why I'm opposed to kind of women's only groups, women's only spaces. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I just, I, I get the... Um, impetus to kind of band together and i think there's a lot of things that can be very very useful but we've got to get out about thinking of ourselves in a victim framework in terms of thinking about ourselves as women or thinking about ourselves in terms of color for mostly we're founders and we're good founders with good companies that is there's there's white people with great companies and terrible companies there's women with great and terrible companies it's across the board right um right but those opportunities have to be given. And it's also why I rally against funds when I said, like, I don't care about your diversity fund. I don't want money from your diversity fund. In fact, <laughs> I find it hugely offensive, actually. Um, I want money out of your main fund. Like everybody else gets money. And I don't want to be full of as a woman. Yep. I want your core. I don't want to, I don't, it doesn't, it's immaterial whether I, that I'm a woman, that I'm trans, that I'm black or any of these, any of these things. I have gotten used to being in spaces where I'm one of very few, usually, right? It was the same thing at Oxford. It was the same thing in venture. It's the same thing, you know, raising money as a founder. Um, and we have to create more opportunities for people. But these two things are happening simultaneously where the industry, I think, is saying one thing and behaving in another way. And then simultaneously, we as founders need to... Um, stand up for what we believe in, but not get entrenched in this, in this, in this framework or this narrative that is being pushed onto us at the same time, mm. therefore locking ourselves into certain spaces or, 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 or feeling like um, we don't have a space or a seat, right? Ultimately, um, investors will invest in companies that they believe will bring them a return. Right. And there are now an increased number of women GPs and, and black GPs, not enough, but you know, it's 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 it is changing, right? So it is happening. So we are right. on the right pathway. There's a lot of nihilistic discussion around some of these. It is happening, right? Um, and do I want to see more diverse founders? Of course, but primarily what I want to see is just really good companies generating yep. really good returns for really good funds and creating products that I'm excited to, 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 to use and to, to be, a, to be, um, to be a customer of. So I, I hope if there's anything that I do on this front, um, it, it's maybe to reframe some of the conversation or some of the narrative, um, around these pieces. And we talk a lot about diversity, but you have to be re I'm truly committed to diversity. And that includes political diversity at my company, economic diversity, racial diversity, all the, I want everything, right? And as long as you keep in line with our company policies, you're not right. bullying any individual, um, that diversity is very, very, very much needed. And though we talk about diversity a lot of the time, actually what we're trying to do is homogenize a lot of the time into very, very particular ways of thinking and ways of being. Um, and so, you know, we've always had a very, very distinct culture internally as well, where I tell my people, you have, if, you, if we truly care about diversity, you have to be committed to true and real diversity, not convenient diversity for the diversity right. that you like. Um, and I think that that so far has yielded really good results for us so far on that front. There's a lot of threads there that are, are, are really helpful to the audience. Um, and, and the one that I think that stands out is building a company and, and the money will come, <laughs> although you're still going to have to try hard. 
and 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 just just as you as an example, um, you may have a little bit of a, a steeper hill to climb, but ultimately you're building a good business, and that's what's important. So we're on the heels of launch for Two Hour Grocery, and I want to wrap up with Z's um, vision: twelve months and then ten years. <laughs> Uh, you know, the next 12 months for us are really about California. We're already in LA and SF. Um, we, we, we really made a determined effort at the beginning of 2021 to get into LA, um, kind of quietly, actually. Uh, at the time, it's still very, very small at the time. But to get that true foothold in, in two metropolitan, the two biggest metropolitan areas in California. Uh, but there's a huge opportunity for growth for us. I and mean, we're still pretty small, right, relative to many, many of the other players, and particularly national players that already exist. And our time will come. It is coming. But the next 12 months really are about increasing our catalog, increasing the number of customers that we have, and just running a really good, effective business for the people that we already have. I've always been conscious to not run before we can walk. Um, and then, of course, will come uh, a second state for us and a second territory. Ten years from now, we should be, you know, a national mainstay in, in this country and probably looking at being, in, uh, we should be international at that point, right? Um, I think certainly within five to seven years. Um but, you know, the goal for me is to have as many Americans as possible shopping zero who want to be plastic free, who want to shop sustainably, who want to have good quality products to have access to this service, whatever state or whatever city that they that they live in. Um, and so there's a lot of infrastructure and a lot more technology to lay down to make that happen and to make this marketplace work. Online grocery in particular is still a really really difficult area to run. It's in general, a much lower margin business. It's operationally very, very heavy. We are still building new technologies and benefiting from those uh, new technologies, but we're really seeing the golden era right now of online grocery. And I think, you know, penetration is also changing. It was about 2% before the pandemic. Um, and we should hopefully get to 15, 20% over the next three, four years of, of, of groceries that are sold through online channels specifically. So as we come through this, um, Zero should be the one mainstay behemoth sustainability platform for you to buy anything and everything that you want to be able to get same day and get it in a way that aligns with your values and our values and is good for you and your family and is good for our country and is good for our and is good for our planet as well. And um, I make no bones about trying to get people off of using other services and using my competitors for this to work. <laughs> You have to respect your competitor, but you must seek to destroy them. You must. <laughs> and they can be and they can be small or they can be large. Look, so this is a, this look, is a Bezos, new era. Bezos is out, you know, on a yacht right now, retired, you know, down with Whole Foods, down with Instacart. Here comes zero. And I'm hungry. This is awesome. So if that's not a good note to end on, Z, I want to thank you. Um, it's just been a real pleasure. We usually only go 20 minutes, but you went, we had so much good stuff to talk about. Um, thanks for coming on the show. I know that the fans and the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you for sharing. Um, and good to have you. Thanks, John. I appreciate it so much.